So this week, we're finishing up the four-week series that we've done about questions from the outside. What are people who are not connected to a church, which is one of the largest groups here in our community and really all across the nation, what are the questions that they're asking us? And instead of just presuming we already know the answer, and well, really, if they just thought more like us and if they understood more like us, then their questions would be answered. We took them at their word and we tried to wrestle with them. And then we talked a little bit about the first week we talked about, can I trust you? The second week we asked, will you answer the questions I have? The third week we asked about what if I don't believe anymore? And this week we're asking, are your priorities right? And I got to tell you, I've appreciated a lot of the feedback I've gotten in this series. Honestly, I think in the 18 months that I've been here, this series, these four weeks, have gotten some of the most feedback I've ever received, I mean, in my entire ministry. And I thought that was really interesting. It seems like it struck a chord with us for whatever reason. And I hope that at the very least, and many of you said this was, this was helpful and it was powerful, but I hope that it's helped get a sense of the needs of our community around us. This is something every church should pay attention to. If we're supposed to be stewards of a community, well, gosh, shouldn't we know what they need? But I also hope that in the end, this was a series that helped each of you see that we are far more capable of meeting the needs of our community than perhaps we realized at the beginning. There is something in the way that we understand how to do church that can help make a difference in people's lives. And hopefully, it has given us a feeling that now is the time to start to roll up our sleeves and start to get to work, which is actually the answer to this question that is posed today. Are your priorities right? Well, take a look at our work. So let's take a look at this. In James today, our first stop should be to talk a little bit about James's question, can faith save you? Now, if there are, again, you don't could fall out of the, the pew and land on an ordained pastor here at this church, any of you who have taken enough Theology 101 or 201 will know that to be a good Reformed Presbyterian is to say absolutely with complete resolve, yes, faith can save you. In fact, it is the only thing that saves you. Otherwise, Calvin would be shaking his head and clucking his tongue. You silly Americans in his French accent. Do you not know it is faith alone that saves you? Go back and learn some more. Natalie, how was that? <laughs> and actually, this response that faith can't save you is almost, was the primary reason why this book of the Bible almost did not get into the canon, into the Bible that we have today that has been around for centuries. Because there's so much other stuff in Scripture that says, you know what, faith is the only thing that will save you. It's not what you do. You have not earned going to heaven. 
It was given to you as a gift. And I think it helps to think through this and how we can sort of organize these things together by talking first about the word works here because I think it helps better answer the question. The understanding of this word is not about necessarily doing labor, just getting things done. It actually has more of a connotation that deals with obligation. And in particular, I like the way that the complementary word in the Hebrew relates to this word, works. The Hebrew word here, more often than not, when it's used like works, it means that there is a sense of being held in trust. That when we perform works, as James talks about, it's doing the work of a public trust. Our faith then becomes a covenantal bond with God to hold the world and its needs in a shared trust. So when you're doing work, you're enacting a covenant with God. You're not just doing work for the sake of doing work. So it makes sense then If we violate our sacred covenant with God and our belief in God by saying that someone is poorly dressed or naked or starving and we just say, well, thoughts and prayers, y'all. Sorry to hear that you're starving. Good luck. We'll be praying for you. I'm going to try to get as many accents out today (laughs) before I go on vacation. Good luck as you sort of scrounge around. I, I, I heard that There might be some food down the street. We don't really have anything for you. If we do that, if we live that way, if we think that's the way church life is supposed to be, that thoughts and prayers and we'll move you on, we're actually violating part of a covenant of faith. And covenant here is intentional because that word means a little bit more than contract. It's not just a relationship that we sign with God that says, I believe, and we put our signature. No, in the Hebrew sense of that word, when God cuts a covenant. It's literally a word that means cut, as in like it has an enfleshment to it. It's more than just a contract, but it's something in ourselves. And James continues to build on this argument in the rest of the passage. He starts by saying that there may be some who want to separate faith and works, to say, well, those two don't go along. But as he goes along, he shows by separating them, it's really more of a weak act an empty act of sophistry than it is any kind of meaty discussion that should persuade us otherwise. James first says, you know, the devils believe and they shudder. It's all well and good that you believe, so do a lot of other people believe. What good, though, will that faith be in the end? And here's the thing. I'm happy to have my faith compared in a lot of different ways. Probably the one I'd least like to be compared to is is demons. Your faith is equivalent to the demons. They believe. They don't really do anything. Yeah, that's not a great way to stay motivated in living a faithful life. Then he continues through it, and he mentions two different characters that the folks who were reading this would be very aware of. He mentions Abraham, and he mentions Rahab. And I think it's helpful to see the range of descriptions. You know, we talk about Abraham all the time. You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. 
progenitor of so many, this entire group of people, God's promised children, all brought through Abraham. And this spectacular moment of faith and trust goes up to the mountain and nearly sacrifices his son. And at the last moment, God grabs him by the hand through an angel and says, you've done enough, Abraham. And then we talk about Rahab the prostitute, whose the spies were going in, protects them, helps them go along the way, like James says, has them go down a different road before they could get hurt. It's almost as if, y'all, that human interpretations are not sufficient to reflect the covenant shared with God and humanity. That Abraham and Rahab are just as important in James' eyes, the father of Israel and a foreign prostitute. It might not be us who gets to decide faith and works and the deep aspects of the covenant. So the reality, according to James, is that faith and works are fundamentally inseparable. And to try to separate them is more demonstrable of a weak faith altogether. In other words, if you're just sitting back and saying, well, I don't really need to do anything because I've already been saved, it might be worth it to investigate that faith that saved you before defending the lack of works altogether. That means that the public trust of our faith This idea of works, that we have a covenant with God to care for others, one in which we are sharing with God, is shown to be meaningless if we don't have works that show that covenant. These cannot and should not be disconnected from one another. And so I think a question that we ought to ask ourselves, to the benefit of asking responding to this question, are our priorities right, is to ask if we are honoring the public trust of our faith. Now, if I were to look at South Jacksonville Presbyterian Church and I were to make a review and say, where where are we at? Here's some of the things that we could say. That we've had a tradition for a long time of giving 10% of our annual budget every year to missions. That is terrific. And do you know that there, that there is a fund that when people have given bequests, that there is a requirement that every time that comes in, a legacy gift or something else, that 10% of it gets set aside to a benevolence fund that sits with the mission committee? So even when gifts are given to us, we offer 10% of it back towards the work of mission. That's awesome. Well, not only do we give, but we have volunteers in almost every single mission organization that we give to. That includes volunteering to feed people at Salzbacher. It also includes things like being on the boards of multiple mission organizations. Lanny is on the board of desk. I just recently took a, 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 board, um, a, a board position on UCOM. I mean, we're actually participating. It's not just writing a check, but we spend our lives there. We also keep a small benevolence fund here for the staff that's in our budget that if somebody comes up to us and says, I need help with something, we have the resources to be able to help them. Great example of that a few weeks ago is we had somebody come to the church saying that their main mode of transportation, their bicycle, 
had blown out tires and they couldn't go anywhere. Could we help? And we said, you know, go down the street to open road cycles and they'll take care of you. Turns out they didn't only replace the tires, but they replaced the rims as well. And we were able to pay for that. They bumped this person to the top of the queue and they were able to go on their way. That's a great resource to have, right? And not only that, but if you look into our office, you know, the, the back half of the narthex, you'll see a bunch of paper bags. Those paper bags are filled with food that's non-perishable, that if somebody comes and they say that they're hungry, we're able to give them food immediately, and then we can say, by the way, our food pantry, Yukon, is a stone's throw away, and they will take care of you for the rest of your needs. These are all wonderful. We should give ourselves high marks for having our priorities right. Because it's always tempting, for instance, to just give money away without being part of the missions that we participate in. But in the end, that actually feels more like outsourcing our faith. Say, so, well, I don't really have to have much faith. I don't really have to have much works. I'm going to delegate it to somebody else and I'm going to pay them to have the faith and the belief. But instead, we commit to these organizations. And we don't dismiss people here that come to us and have questions or have needs with just the simple thoughts and prayers and good luck. But instead, we feed them, and then we direct them to UCOM to be fed for the long term. Now, I could wrap up this sermon here. I mean, like I said, it's my last Sunday for three weeks. I could be done quick. We all could pat ourselves on the back because, you know, we've had three weeks worth of wrestling with questions. Maybe we could just take a win on this one. But I think you all know me well enough. We got to talk a little bit more about this. If our faith is measured in part by our works, and if our faith is what sustains us, then why would we want to do anything else but be relentless and unresting in seeking out works? There should never be a point in the church of Jesus Christ that says, you know, we've done enough mission work. We've done enough caretaking for our community. And we're fine. If James is right, wherever that limit is, is the limit of our faith as enacted through this public trust. So what might stop us from going further to demonstrate our faith through our works? Well, I do think sometimes it could be a matter of discomfort indifference, right? I look around this room, we all look very similar, don't we? What if we didn't? Well, we've had lots of people who didn't look like us. We've had lots of people who didn't think like us have experiences like us. That sounds really good in the vague idea, but to actually practice that all the time, well, that gets much harder. What if this church here suddenly was called by God to be one of the most diverse churches in Jacksonville? Would you be scared? It is easy to put a limit on our faith because maybe we don't believe we can actually be that. Maybe it's too scary to be with people who don't look like us or have um, 
bank accounts like us or have needs like us. I mean, we are still the most segregated hour in the country in a lot of different ways. Sometimes I think it also is what feels like a really good thing, a really important thing. We focus on important secondary issues, right? We're worried about the cost of something. We're worried about, you know, we're a church in decline. How can we go do bold things? Take your pick, right? None of those are bad in and of themselves, but they cause us to not focus on doing our work of our faith. Each time that we do that, that we prioritize some sort of secondary, this great word that we learned in seminary, adiaphora, the secondary things, each time we focus on those secondary things, we need to think about the consequences of our faith and the truth of the covenant between us and God and our community. So let's talk about money, for instance, because we can talk about money till the cows come home. Now, we have been good stewards, so let's not ignore that there is an important part of being a good steward. We've got a balanced budget right now. We're doing good work. But we can get ourselves fearful, hypothetically, of serving a need that is present because it will cost too much. Oh, you mean we have to try to help provide subsidized rent for folks because Jacksonville is incredibly unaffordable and maybe there's a mission that God calls us to to help provide resources for folks who can't afford their houses. You mean we've got to spend money because you know the single biggest reason why folks often can't get into housing when they've been out of housing? It's because they have a utility arrears. Sometimes it's like $300 to a JEA and that's the thing that stops them from getting into their lease. Oh, well, you know, $300 per person, we can't do that. Oh, you mean it costs money to have an ASL interpreter? Sorry, Jan. Thoughts and prayers. Good luck finding some place that'll do interpretation for you. Of course, this sounds reasonable, right? Sessions deliberate this stuff all the time. Well, you know, we only have so many resources and we've got to keep the lights on and Gotta pay the pastor. It's like we get ourselves fearful of serving a need because it costs too much. But it does say a few things, doesn't it? It actually says that the finances and not the care of those in our midst takes the top priority. It says that our faith is limited to what our balance sheet tells us we can have faith in. It tells us that we've already foreclosed on the needs of others because our faith is limited by scarcity. And as a result, we get caught in a downward spiral that we might have a building and $2 million in reserves and we are doing nothing to serve the kingdom of God. Ask me about the multiple examples I know about up in Ohio Church of 20 people with a 20,000 square foot sanctuary, $3 million in the bank, and they don't know what to do with themselves. But what if we said, if God calls us to care for the public trust in this way, then we will do it. I think if we put our faith first, we go about the work. Perhaps that faith and that work 
energizes others, gets people excited about the mission that they see, and they get excited, and then they start to apply their work, and suddenly it's no longer about scarcity anymore, is it? It's about abundance. People start giving more of their time, of their talent, and their treasure because their faith is strengthened by the outcome of the works. Now we say to ourselves, if God calls us to something, if we are discerning truth that this is where the Spirit calls us, then we will do everything we can to serve that need. That maybe there's a service out there and somebody looks at a church trying to provide a service and says, you know what, I'll, for a while I'll do that for free. I mean, pro bono is kind of nice. Maybe there's somebody out there who says, you know, this is what makes my heart sing, is caretaking for this particular thing. Maybe the pastor is willing to give a lot of their money that they have set aside for certain things to make sure that that mission happens. Wouldn't be the first time I've done that, and it won't be the last. We can go woe is us over and over again about, oh, the church is in decline. Oh, the PCUSA has like half of the membership that they did to how many years ago? Oh, look at the empty pews. Well, doesn't that feel like the wrong thing to focus on if James is telling us that faith and works are combined? Wouldn't it make sense that maybe the better thing to say is, you know what, now we have an opportunity to keep moving and do what God calls us to. Because here's the thing we ought to ask ourselves every single time we get ourselves caught up in the secondary issues, right? Worry about... We don't have enough money, or we don't have enough people, or we don't have enough anything. Take your pick. Which church would you rather be a part of? Do you show up on a Sunday morning to a new place, and the very first thing you say is, you know what, I need to know if you've reconciled your accounts properly? When was the last time you got an audit? And do you have the appropriate reserves to have four months of runway in case something awful happens at that church? Do you, do you ask that question, friends? I mean, if you do, good on you, but I've never heard that in nearly 40 years of living. That should tell us what the priority is. Are you going to love me? Are you going to love my family? If I have a need, will you be relentless in caring for it? Will you stand for something more than what the political winds carry to you? I will tell you, 10 times out of 10, I'd choose the latter. 
And my guess is 10 out of 10 times each of you would too. As it turns out, a church that has its priorities straight is life-changing. Let's keep showing this neighborhood what it means to be faithful. Let's keep showing this neighborhood what it means to show our faith through our works. Let us continue to work to get our priorities right. Because I promise you, dear friends, that's where Jesus Christ meets us as well. Thanks be to God.